This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Sylvia A. and Simon B. Poita, Programming Endowment to Fight Anti-Semitism, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, Janet Prindle Seidler, Jody and John Arnhold, Cheryl and Philip Milstein family, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Judy and Josh Weston, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. In Oakland, California, a bold experiment is underway to rethink what it means to be a girl. It's called the Radical Monarchs, an alternative to traditional Girl Scouting, a movement designed specifically for girls of color by women of color. Founded in 2014, the Radical Monarchs have made waves by their focus on social justice and challenging the status quo. The organization is the subject of a POV documentary, We Are the Radical Monarchs, which follows the founders and growth of the organization's very first troop as they navigate issues of identity, race, and allyship as young women. Here's a preview. So raise your hand if you ever felt left out at school. I used to worry about how I looked, how I dressed, how I acted. Mostly about how I looked. I mean, I remember my daughter, she said, Mom, most of the people in the world are brown. How come most of the people on TV are white? I think self-empowerment, self-worth for young girls of color is critical. And it's really lacking in our media. It's really lacking in our educational system. So how do we create alternative spaces where that can happen? What makes the Radical Monarchs different is that we focus on issues that specifically affect young women of color. I came in thinking we're going to sell cookies and it's going to be like the typical, you know, truth thing. I didn't know that we'd be learning to love yourself for who you are. I'm the main breadwinner in my family and it's a lot of pressure. We get inundated with requests. People be like, we want a troop here, we want a troop there. And we're like, we do too, and we have no budget right now. <laughs> We've been running our own troop, building in our organization, and working our full-time jobs. It's so hard to keep saying, no, we're sorry, we're not ready yet. We're sorry, we're not ready yet, but it's real. If we are really going to be about evolving this society, then we need to teach social justice now like we teach STEM subjects. Well, there's a new brownie troop in California and these girls aren't selling cookies or learning to sew. We think they're being exploited. Wouldn't it be better for them to learn friendship skills? Would you want your kids being a part of a group like that? Something I've learned from our Radical Monarch sisters is that if you like really work together, if something is a big problem, you can make anything happen. We are here on behalf of the Radical Monarch. We get to kind of make history, or her story, as we like to say it. And we get to be one tiny little part of it. Because we all know that a lot of tiny parts can equal one big part. 
And joining me now are the co-founders of the Radical Monarchs, Marilyn Hollenquest. Hi. Thank you for joining us. And Ana Yvette Martinez. And Ana Yvette's daughter, Lupita. <laughs> who, of course, inspired the creation of the Radical Monarchs. And also, we're joined by Linda Goldstein Knowlton, the director and producer of the documentary. Hello. So, Linda, I want to start with you very quickly to sort of get this out of the way. And that is, everything, of course, I think, exists at the right time and the right moment. And I'm wondering how you knew to even, how you found out about and thought to even make a documentary about the Radical Monarchs in 2014 before so many things changed that make them seem so critical to this point in history that we're in. Well, I, I read an article online in The Guardian called, uh, I think the title was, Is This the Future of Girl Groups? And it totally caught my eye. And then of course, the name of the group at the time, it was Radical Brownies, now the Radical Monarchs. And just kind of everything, um, about the article caught my eye. And then saw pictures of Anna Yvette and Marilyn and the girls. And I just thought, who are these badass women and girls who are um, on the one hand ahead of their time, but on the other hand, right on time. Um, so I reached out to them and said, I'd like to do a film about you because what was kind of most interesting to me at the time, of course, the, the young women were really, uh, inspiring and funny and provocative in, in the best ways. But what was most interesting to me was Anna Yvette and Marilyn taking on what they thought was gonna be maybe starting a troop for 10 girls, maybe like another troop locally, and then being tapped on the shoulder to start a movement and them rising to the occasion. So what does it look like? We don't see the stories of what does it take who are the people that start movements? How do they do it? What happens? So that was, that was what was most interesting to me. Well, Anna Yvette, I'd love to uh, hear your part of the story because, of course, your lovely daughter Lupita did play a critical role in even the creation of the Radical Monarchs. Yes, absolutely. I always say that she's kind of one of the, she's one of the, she's like, she's one of the founders, you know, as well. <laughs> and so um, my daughter was in fourth grade and a bunch of her classmates were joining a local traditional, traditional, traditional scouting troop. And so naturally she wanted to join to be with her friends. Um, and when I looked at the composition of the group, um, I just felt like it wouldn't really speak to her experience um, as a young girl of color. And as a young girl of color that's been raised in a very politically, you know, social justice minded family, um, where for her, she's been attending marches since before she could walk. And so I started to kind of think about what would it look like to create a troop that really centered her experience as a girl of color um, and where they could actually earn badges based on social justice movement work. And so had this idea, um, told her about it and she lit up and got super excited. And she was like, yes, mommy, that sounds amazing. Like, let's do it. And I was like, great, let's do it. Um, but at the time I was a, a full-time community organizer, which is a very uh, full job within itself. And so I kept kind of putting it off and Lupita never let go of that idea. Like she kept asking me, mommy, when are we doing that group? When are we doing that group? And she would talk to her friends. It was basically like recruiting people already. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, okay, I guess I have to make this happen. And so I knew I need support and help because I had my hands full with my job being a mother of two. And so I approached uh, my best friend and sister friend, Marilyn Hollenquest, 
who both of us went to grad school together. We have a similar background in working with youth and, and, and doing youth development work. And I just was like, hey, I have this kind of, you know, this wild idea of starting this group for my daughter Lupita and her homies. Um, would you be interested in doing it with me? And she was like, hell yeah, like that is a really amazing idea, let's do it. And so we launched it together. And Marilyn, what was your take on not only the starting of the Radical Brownies, but the need that it was going to be attempting to fill? Well, I, of course, thought it was a great idea. And so I had been, you know, teaching social justice focused classes, um, movement history classes. And so I really thought it was an awesome idea and felt that just I really imagined when I kind of came into my own consciousness, which was in college. And so what would that look like for younger girls in the third to fifth grade to have that kind of consciousness early and sort of sort of be woke college students, but in elementary school, what would that look like as they aged and got older? Well, Marilyn, I also wanted to know what you thought of uh, what the reaction was to the organization, not just in your Oakland community, but of course, mm -hmm. uh, the group got national attention and it wasn't always positive. Yeah, the reactions were mixed. And I think a lot of that is because social justice focused classes, um, a full viewing of history from various perspectives perspectives is not always taught in school. And so a lot of those kind of ethnic studies type classes are optional if you can even get them in high school. And they really don't show up in elementary school often. And so college is kind of that place again where it's optional. So for me, it was just um, a lack of understanding from people. And a lot of the times, you know, the way um, people teach equality is sort of like, I think the last place we left off was like, oh, we need to live in a colorblind society or maybe this melting pot kind of idea. And so often, pe oftentimes people are stuck in that idea and they feel really uncomfortable talking about race or gender or sexuality or disability, they're uncomfortable talking about those things. So the kind of solution has been like, well, let's just not mention it. Like, I'm just not going to mention it at all. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of people are coming from. And of course, there are people who are like, you know, oh, you're teaching reverse racism because you're focusing on young, young girls of color. And so again, to me, that's just, you know, a lack of a lack of knowledge and willingness to understand that you have to be able to talk about differences in order to create an equitable society. Lupita, I'd love to get your take on your mom said that you were so excited about this group starting, but what was it that made you so excited because watching the documentary, it seems like a lot of the issues that the radical monarchs uh, addressed in your troop weren't really getting talked about or addressed perhaps in a way where a lot of uh, young girls would feel comfortable asking some very frank questions. So what did it feel like for you when the group finally started? Man, I was so excited. Like, like my mom was saying, I was bothering her constantly about it. Like, when are we going to start it? I already had like a group of like five friends getting ready to start the radical monarchs. And I think that when we had that first meeting it was like a dream like it was i remember the community agreements everything was just like perfect and i think that 
as we started, as the troupe kind of like progressed, it just got better and better. And like we built really strong sisterhood with all the monarchs. And I think it was a really exciting time for like nine-year-old Lupita. <laughs> <laughs> well, sticking with nine-year-old Lupita, uh, I'm wondering what is your take? Because it's very clear in the documentary that again, there's so many things that you guys get to address and explore and learn about that perhaps are uncomfortable for other adults to even know how to talk about. So I guess what would be your advice to other parents who have kids who clearly can see that things are happening, people are marching in the streets and there's so much talk about, you know, justice and equity, et cetera. What would be your advice to parents who might feel apprehensive or like, oh, but they're nine, nine is so young and I don't really wanna talk about these issues with them. What would you say, Lupita? Well, I think that a lot of times the people underestimate youth, like younger people specifically. And so I think that like as young people, we notice things in the world. Like we're not blind to racism. We're not blind to inequities. We're not blind to injustices. And so I think that when parents feel uncomfortable having, about having those conversations, I think that it's their time to kind of like listen and be like, oh, like what have you noticed talking to their kids? Because we do notice a lot. And I think that sometimes the kind of parents will come with us like with a bunch of information that like oh like we don't we didn't know that and I think that as young people we know a lot and so I think that they should give us a chance to kind of like explain or just really talk about what we already know and we have been experiencing and seeing. Okay well Anna Yvette I'd like to ask you I mean so much of the documentary of course is in the years leading up to uh, the, our most recent election from 2016 and then of course the fallout um, but I'd like to get your take because what I thought was so interesting was there was a moment in the film where it's just after the election and you're talking to the girls about work that could be continued to be done and you're expressing how you had already at points felt exhausted and that the thought of doing more work was more exhausting and that was in 2016. So given that four years have now passed, um, what are your feelings about the work of your organization, the growth that it's seen? Do you feel as daunted and overwhelmed as you seem to have in the film? Yeah, I think there's definitely still moments, right, of overwhelm um, because Marilyn and myself have been doing this for so long, right, as women of color, as queer women of color, we've been impacted by these multiple oppressions since we were very little, right? Since kind of since birth. And so I think that um, this for us has never been a sprint. This has always been uh, a marathon, right? This has been kind of like lifelong work. And so there are definitely moments where we feel daunted, we feel overwhelmed and exhausted. Um, but I think that there, that fire though, to always continue the work is always there and always remains. And I think that I feel, you know, a huge sense of responsibility, right, to pass that on to the younger generations, you know, to the young monarchs themselves, and to do it in a, in a, in a different way in which I came into organizing, right? I think Marilyn often has said that um, it's important for movements to evolve, right? And I think that we've learned a lot from prior movements, um, and we've implemented that into the radical monarch movement work, right? And so something that you wouldn't hear much about when you hear about prior movements, be that the Indian American movement or the Black Panther movement or the Brown Berets or Young Lords or Yellow Peril is this um, importance of self-care and sustainability, right? And not feeling like you got to do everything yourself. And so I think that in Radical Monarchs, that's a huge part of our work is about like, how do we, 
how do we make this sustainable? How do we prioritize our self-care for ourselves? Um, I think myself and Marilyn take very seriously how do we model that, right, to the monarchs, right? Um, being that right now, uh, we're in our month of rest. We took July off to rest as an organization programmatically because we've been just nonstop, especially with the recent things happening in the world around us with the um, you know most recent visibility around state violence and police violence around folks of color. So, um, so I think that there are definitely still those moments, um, but I think that at the end of the day, we find a way to take care of ourselves um, when we feel daunted or overwhelmed and then we pick ourselves back up and dust ourselves off and get back to the work, so. I'm speaking with the co-founders of the Radical Monarchs, Marilyn Hollenquest and Ana Yvette Martinez, as well as Ana Yvette's daughter, Lupita. And we're also joined by Linda Goldstein Knowlton, the director and producer of the documentary on POV, We Are the Radical Monarchs. Now. Marilyn, I sort of want to turn to, I guess, the idea of where we are right now and where the radical monarchs fit. There's a lot of talk right now about allyship and the best way for non-people of color or white people to show allyship. And there was some, I guess, pushback, at least in the documentary, about the fact that the radical monarchs is a group centering girls of color and for girls of color. Does that still hold? Has there been a way to perhaps share some of the work that you're doing with more traditional Girl Scout groups? Where does allyship work into the radical monarchs uh, work ethic? Yeah, so we definitely will always be centered around girls of color. And the reason that they that we do that is because they often get left out of this you know, adult-centered fight for social justice. Um, and in terms of allyship, I think the ways that we worked with allies, like people have definitely approached us. And so we do, you know, work in coalition with those folks around how to be an ally and also to direct them to resources around how they can ally um, with other white folks. Because the the... What happens is a lot of times people will call themselves an ally and maybe they learn the language and they kind of do this surface work. And then the deep work doesn't get done, create these systematic changes. And so people, I feel like, have this fear of being called racist. And so oftentimes will, you know, trip on themselves or kind of hold back their thoughts because they don't want to get called, they do not want to be called racist, which makes sense. And so mm -hmm. when you have these white ally groups who work with each other to raise their consciousness and talk about how they can raise their consciousness amongst their family members and their grandmothers and that sort of thing, grandfathers of a different generation, I think different work happens then. They you know, may feel like not being judged because they're around other white folks who are struggling with these same issues versus, you know, being embedded with people of color 24 seven and having that fear of making a mistake in language or maybe, you know, misgendering somebody or being like, oh, is this racist? I'm not really sure. So I'm just not gonna say what I'm feeling. And so I think that's where allyship uh, works 
is when you work in coalition with people like we sometimes you know work with those folks but it's definitely not a 24 7 thing because the way that whiteness works is it centers itself white privilege centers itself and so people will center themselves whether they are conscious of that or not and so that's why we center girls of color um, we make sure that when we have workshops seeing is believing so we have you know black and brown women femme identified folks leading those workshops so they can see like oh we are the holders of knowledge we can be in charge versus um having that kind of it's commonly known as like a snowcap organization where you have um a community a disenfranchised community and all of the leadership is white and that's where the snow is on the snow cap and then everything underneath is like the people you serve are people of color the people doing the work are people of color the outreach workers the case workers that sort of thing but then all the leadership is is white so yeah and the the last thing i want to say about allyship is you cannot call yourself an ally the community that you're supposed to be working with the disenfranchised community they call you an ally because someone can say oh yeah i'm an ally but did you do the work are the communities that you are allied with would they consider you an ally so yeah that's where allyship falls okay well i think that's very helpful for a lot of people as they continue to navigate uh, this moment that we're in. Uh, Ana Yvette, I also wanted to ask you about uh, just this role that these young women, I can't even really call them girls because by the end of the documentary, these are clearly some very powerful young women. Um, where they go once they graduate from uh, the radical monarchs? And I say that because 13, as we know, is an incredibly pivotal age for young women and a lot of the uh, societal norms, let's say, of what a young woman should be really start to weigh on those young girls around that time. Um, and so I'm wondering if there's, I guess, a graduate program for Radical Monarchs. What happens once you graduate out of the um, program? And Lupita, I'd love to hear what your journey was after you graduated out. Yeah, so we have an alumni program, so it's not like they graduate and we're like, bye, good luck with all that. <laughs> um, we still stay very connected. We do annual retreats with the alumni where we bring them all together so they're able to reconnect with each other, although most of them stay connected even once they graduate just on their own, whether that's social media or through text threads. But we bring them together once a year for an annual retreat where it's really time for them to reconnect, like I mentioned, but also to revisit all the kind of values and tools that they gained when they were a radical monarch. So we talk about like, how does, how is fierce sisterhood showing up now as a high schooler for you and your dynamics and friendships, right? How are you being mindful of what you learned about interdependence, right? Um, as you form relationships or friendships, what does radical bodies look like now as a high schooler, right? Now that your body is, is you know, changing, right? How are you still loving your body? Um, how are you still being mindful of um, you know disability justice you know within your school within your classroom within your friendship circles so it's a way for them to kind of revisit those concepts and those values they learned with us so that happens once a year in addition to that 
Um, they stay connected and help us support the newer troops that we've launched. And so they kind of come and support as like mentors or as like bigger sisters, um, which the younger monarchs um, love to see them. But they're like, they're like little celebrities when they come to their troop meetings, you know, or they assist in their graduations. Um, They've also spoken at graduations uh, to the newer troops and talked about what their favorite part of, the, of earning that badge was. Um, when we launched these uh, four new troops that we just launched this past fall, all the alumni were a part of us um, hiring and onboarding the whole new cohort of troop leaders. So they actually got to ask them questions and got to kind of, you know, um, see their demonstrations because they know as former monarchs what they're looking for in a troop leader right and so um, they definitely continue to stay very engaged um, as alumni and then um, just quickly this past couple months again with the kind of resurgence of visibility around state violence um, the alumni self-organized and wanted to create um, you know a list of responses to what we're seeing right now and so they themselves uh, self-organized a vigil to honor um, black women and femmes that have been you know uh, killed or impacted by the state violence um, they held that at Lake Merritt they organized it all it was attended by tons of people I don't know we didn't do a count but I would say definitely like over a hundred folks attended that vigil um, what else oh y'all did a the video video we did a video on like different ways to be an ally in our community so we all got to like talk about a different part that we think is important about being an ally, which was really awesome. Like, I got a lot of attention. Yeah. And being an ally specifically to the Black community, right? And so mm -hmm. um, each each alumni, you know, took a different piece about what does it look like to show up as an ally to the Black community, right? And so they talked about cultural appropriation. appropriation. Um, what else? Uh, not using the N-word. So mm -hmm. things are also, they were also speaking to their peers. Uh, which I thought was important because I think a lot of these allyship videos that, that came out in response to the violence uh, was more maybe targeted towards like an adult audience. And so the alumni as young people were speaking to their peers, right? And speaking to like, what are the things they see themselves in their peer groups, such as cultural appropriation or the use of the N-word or um, how to be mindful of like uh, your own privilege as like a, a Latina or a light-skinned Latina um, and so they created a video. So the alumni continue to be very engaged um, in the Radical Monarch work. Well, listen, that was, I want to thank all of you for joining me. Uh, the documentary, We Are the Radical Monarchs, is a radical documentary to watch on POV, on PBS. And I want to thank you all for not just creating this organization, but for allowing us to watch your development and see how what it takes to create some a new movement, especially around children. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for tuning into Metro Focus. Take our award-winning program wherever you go with Metro Focus the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus the podcast. Also available at WLIW.org slash radio and on the NPR One app.